Welcome to the Nejotron Podcast. My name is Isaac Kamens. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. This week we continue our discussion on the Wu style of Tai Chi. Uh, we begin with a continuing look at the Power of Internal Martial Arts by Bruce Francis where he talks about the development of the Wu style and specifically about relationships between teachers and students, uh, both before and after the Boxer Rebellion. Uh, then we look at uh, Ma Yue Liang's book from 1935, which has a lot of the photos of Wu Jinchuan that you may have seen in posters or in the big uh, gold book. But uh, he talks a little bit about um, the decision to make the book and then how they decided on which pictures to use and all this stuff. So a little bit of back uh, story on that. Um, and then in our extended episode, we um, t- discuss Liu Hongjie's Tai Chi a bit as well as look at uh, Titi Liang's version of the Tai Chi classic uh, that we discuss uh, Baiwa's version of. And in uh, this week's Patreon episode, we continue our look at uh, the Taoist meditation article with Bruce Francis uh, and comparing the fire and water traditions of Taoist meditation. Uh, We discuss um, the uh, courage that it takes to take on the spiritual journey. And then we uh, continue our discussion of Baiwa's book with the 100-character tablet, so I uh, hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for all your support. Take care of yourselves and be well. Returning to our discussion of Wu Jian Chen's Taiji Chen, returning to Power of Internal Martial Arts by BK Francis, he speaks a little bit more about Wu Jian Chen. Wu Jian Chen was a prolific teacher who spread his Tai Chi throughout Southern China as much or even more than Yang Cheng Fu. For those who do traditional Tai Chi, the Wu style is the second most popular in China the Yang family and their students having a generation's head start. So going on, he says, in the next generation, Wu's sons changed the form, emphasizing higher stances and less circularity than their father's form, shifting in the manner of Yang Cheng Fu towards a less martial orientation. Um, so he says next that the Wu Sa has three main branches, those of Wu's father, Chuan Yu, which is mostly centered in Beijing, which has the least number of adherents. Then there's the students of Wu himself, which is the most prevalent, and then there's those deriving from Wu's sons, the number of practitioners falling somewhere between the other two branches. So that's kind of the three divisions of the Wu style. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, again, it's just how many students did you have and how long have you been around, right? Right. I mean, he thought he taught in the three different places. So, like, there's the Beijing Wu style, basically. Then you could say that the Shanghai Wu style would be his main life teaching was took place there and then there's that hong kong southern china Wu style where the sons ended up after the war so it kind of tracks his teaching uh, locations and sort of establishment sort of like every teacher who teaches for a long time has the different groups like kumar has sort of the new york students the denver students and the california students and yeah you know i mean chen man ching has that too he's got Mm, taiwan Taiwan, has china He started teaching in China, then right. yeah, well, like guys like T.T. Liang, and yeah, then yeah, he goes to Malaysia, and then uh-huh. was, you know those guys, New and York, then he comes yeah. to the U.S., and so he's got you know similar. And each at each place, the the emphasis changed. I mean, mm-hmm. so true. In B.K. Francis' book, he continues talking about traditional martial arts in general here. That has a few key points that are similar to what you're talking about. So he describes the traditional 
father, uh, you know, father, son, teacher, student relationship and the, uh, and Kauto experience. So he says, before the Boxer Rebellion, people studying one kind of martial art did not learn with people devoted to another martial art. In order to become genuinely trained in a Chinese martial art, a beginning practitioner had to undergo a formal disciple initiation ceremony. During the ceremony, disciples had to take many oaths and Kauto, knocking their heads on the floor, often with significant force, to demonstrate sincerity. The teacher became your surrogate father. You, as disciple, became his surrogate son. The strong Confucian nature of the ceremony powerfully bound you to your teacher and your fellow students, your new martial arts family. Students were not allowed to study outside their systems unless given express permission. Those who disobeyed this dictum were given the silent treatment by colleagues and a martial family member might even challenge the offender with mutually understood lethal intent. Um, and so that's he's talking about the, the early sense of family that the Wu and Yang family had together in those early years of the 1800s and early 20th century, um, basically before the Boxer Rebellion of 1900, that was the only conditions under which Chinese martial arts was taught. I mean, I think of it, these guys were, it was the closest thing we have is gangs. Yeah, it sounds, you, you or know. religions, perhaps. Yeah. You don't but, switch reli gods, you know. Like but you most religions. religions won't beat the shit out of you if you switch. <laughs> right. And, the, you know, there was a piece of this where it was like, okay, you want to go study with those guys? Well, here's a here's something to remember us by, you know, kind oh. of. And, and come back when you think you're, you know, when you've got something that we don't have kind of stuff, you know. Right. Um, cause it was a martial culture, you know, but again, that's the kind of stuff that didn't, once the, once, uh, the boom, boom sticks came into existence, right. that, that kind of went out the window. Cause it was like, oh yeah, right. I win, you know? Right. And that's what he says in the next paragraph. But just before we jump to that, I was going to say that it was interesting that he describes you take the ceremonial vow before you start training. So today you thought of discipleship as something that's earned, like you find, you right, stay with right, your teacher right. long enough, you get granted this honor of joining no, up. No, but no, traditionally, no. day one, you have to bow in. Otherwise, yeah. we're yeah. not going to show. It's like a gang in that sense. Like you join, then you get and, to train. And it one go of the other way. Right. And one of those things you're banging your head on the floor about is secrecy, mm -hmm. is, is to not tell people what that you're part of this group unless you're given permission to tell people right that. and especially um, not to show what's in the group like that's yeah and it, it's why some schools you know have a big deal about you know don't show people what you know unless they're part of the group right yeah because... I've, I've been part of schools like that before it's definitely makes sense you know you don't want to just throw it around and people don't appreciate it anyways when you show it around like that so i, I guess it makes sense to have a somewhat you know, I mean, I, yeah, I, I take the the position of that, again, in the world we live in, most of the stuff we're doing is not nearly as dangerous as going and buying, a, you know, AK-47, you know, right. so it's like, you know, most people that come to a Tai Chi class aren't right. there to, to, to learn how to become lethal weapons, you know, right. Part of what these internal arts do is they force you to confront yourself. And that's the part of it that, um, you know, it ain't always fun to confront yourself. Mm. So most of us avoid that. So I was going to read this final little bit from the book here. Before the Boxer Rebellion, people of one internal martial arts style normally did not share knowledge with those learning another style. Just as during the Cold War, the American and Russians did not openly share their military technology with each other. The reality of guns took away a good part of the pragmatic need for the separation. 
Afterwards, teachers began to become more willing to teach those who had studied other styles. The trend began just before the Boxer Rebellion with the Xingyi and Bagua schools and extended to the Tai Chi schools by the next decade. By the 1920s, the central government had set up national martial arts schools, where many styles were taught under one roof, sometimes by the top people in their respective styles, including Tai Chi's Yang Cheng Fu and Wu Jianquan. During this time, the internal martial arts began to be practiced increasingly by the more educated members of society, a trend that continues to this day. Right. And when they first started those organizations, they these were the Guoshu Guans, and they they um had external and internal martial artists both teaching in the same places. Mm-hmm. And regularly they would get into physical altercations. Like uh Jim Pan Ling was a big uh guy, you know, he was a big uppity muckety muck in that in these groups and he became that's why they chose him to be the and i think was 36 or whatever to be the olympic coach um so you know this was where they were like okay we're all you know martial artists we're all chinese doesn't matter if you're internal external you we've all got something we can you know sort of show off as uniquely special to our own sort of right thing and it was so national pride became a big part of it but a thing that got kind of less and less important was the ability to kill people yeah right? it was like man eh, that's not so important anymore because now Pretty we have much. you know we have troops for that i i looked on uh brennan's translation website he's got wujian trends taiji um wujian trend style taiji boxing for self-study um by ma yue liang from 1935 published by the Health Magazine Society. And it it gives us a few interesting tidbits here. Not a ton, but um, there's a picture of Wu Jianquan there that I don't know. It's the same I've seen in other books. He looks pretty, uh, he's a hefty, sturdy guy with a sort of weathered face that just looks like basically a warrior born and bred. I mean, he's got a big square head and a look of piercing eyes and a big shaggy, you know, don't, give a damn beard right and um, ma was his his son-in-law for those his son-in-law ma is this clean cut young fellow with the right. tie so ma marries horrible. uh wu's eldest daughter right and and Yang becomes this, this is his right. wife right my way young ma yue liang begins with the preface he says i have had a long friendship with wu jian when i was young i was addicted to external styles of boxing arts practicing for 10 years and i progressed to be a skilled exponent but Wu Jian Tren said to me, it's important in training boxing arts to focus on one only. And so if you abandon what you have learned so far and follow me, I will then instruct you in my skill. From then on, I specialized in his Taiji boxing. And after many years of uninterrupted training, I gradually came to understand the subtleties of it. In 1928, he went to Shanghai. The following year, I also went to Shanghai, having been hired to work at the Red Cross Hospital. Um, I also trained with his eldest son. So I just want to stop there in 1928. So I guess Ma Yue Liang must have started with him during his early days of Beijing. And then in 1928 follows him to uh, Shanghai the next year. Um, so that that reflects on what we've been talking about earlier, about that movement from Beijing to Shanghai that Wu Jianquan had done. Um, and here's uh, his student talking about making the trip with him. Um, so then there's a preface by another guy, Chen Zen Min. I haven't heard of him before. He says, I have practiced martial arts ever since the Jingwu Athletic Association was brought to my attention. Um, so he, he trained external, he trained internal, 
And uh, then the then the Jingwu in, sent for Wu Jianquan to head the Wudong department. Right. So that's that's code for the internal martial art department, right? Yeah. So that's what I that's why I was saying they had these different, you know, it was like ecology. I've you know English department and math department, and the, right the two rarely cross over. You right. Know? And he this takes place at the Shanghai Martial Arts Institute. Okay. And so that's not at Jingwu, but at Shanghai Martial Arts Institute. So maybe this is the group that invites him to come from Beijing to Shanghai to teach them and head up the uh, Wudong department. Could be, yeah. He says, yeah. Wu Chen is a methodical guide and inspires my interest. Um, I, And he talks about all this stuff he's had to deal with um, and decides to switch to publishing health magazines. One day when Wu Chen came to me, I told him about my project publishing on health and requested to make use of photos of him demonstrating Taiji boxing. He happily consented, upon which I made use of the more than 90 photos which have been published in installments in Health Magazine, to which I have added explanations. Considering the way the Taiji boxing solo set is always changes and never sits still, it is difficult to describe in writing. He's right about that. Yeah, I'm right. So these must be those pictures that you see of Wu Jianquan in in like the big green poster and in various books it's a methodical yeah i mean clearly photographic there's, breakdown you know there's more than what is usually i think included in the books could but, be more um well because like there there's sections of the form where there's no pictures and then like in later publications they have like just little yeah. bits of like oh here's here's a chunk from where it looks like he's uh, a bit older so yeah inserted and in this book in particular ma yue liang fills in with pictures of himself in right, 1935 right, right, right. to to fill out areas where uh, fill in the gaps Lu is missing um photos were a lot cheaper in uh you know by the time ma was doing this probably than they, yeah. were, than they were in 1930 right. or whatever it was right 1920 something they're shooting those um, so anyways, he talks about the book. He says, Taiji Boxing's place within Chinese martial arts is such common knowledge that I will not bother to waffle on about its breadth and depth, only to say that this book of just over 100 pages is not capable of recording at all. And then we get to a brief bio of Wu Jianquan. Wu Jianquan is from Daxing County, Hebei. In his youth, he learned the Taiji Boxing art from his father, Chuan Yu. When he matured, he further devoted himself to studying it, progressing to perfection. In 1914, he was appointed head martial arts instructor to the Palace Bodyguards, as well as instructor to the Beijing Physical Education College. That's interesting. 1914. So um, clearly he's. Uh, this is his Beijing period. So that, that sounds like 1914 starts his teaching career um, in, with the Palace Bodyguards in Beijing and with the college there. And then it leaves for Shanghai later. So, oh, yeah, okay. So here it says, in 1928, he came south to Shanghai to be appointed director of the Shanghai Martial Arts Institute and head of their Wudong section, as well as instructor in the Jingwu Athletic Association. Now in his 60s, his energy is as robust as that of a young man. And his bearing is so elegant that one would be unaware upon seeing him that he is a martial arts master. So then the final piece is in spring 1935, he founded the Jianquan Taiji Boxing Society in Shanghai. He is always especially kind to younger students. And for those who work hard, he is a methodical teacher who shares everything he knows. He is a distinguished representative of the martial art world. I think this is cool because it's written while he's still alive. 
I believe so, yeah. It's in so this is present tense talking about Wu Jian Chen, which is you don't see that too much. Most of the books take come after the master's passed away. Right. Whatever, so this is this is still, you know, he's still around doing his thing. In his sixties now, so he's kicking some ass still. There's a little bit more here. He says, um, this book talks about how the first books are being published recently. And he mentions here, he says, of the masters who have brought prestige to the internal martial arts in recent years, beyond Sun Ludong should be mentioned Yang Ching Fu and Wu Jian Chuen, who is presented in this book. Wu learned from his father, Chuen Yu, who learned from Yang Banho, Yang Ching Fu's uncle on his father's side. And therefore, the source of his boxing art is the same as Yang Ching Fu's, but the solo set he practices is somewhat different. What with Sun Lutong's version being another branch, there are certainly more than a couple versions of Taiji boxing now. These men are distinguished masters of our nation's martial arts. And just like our nation's masters of calligraphy and painting, who started out by imitating someone else's technique, then once they had mastered the skill, had unconsciously created their own styles, such is the case also in martial arts. These men have achieved a depth and perfection that sets a standard with every move they make, which makes ordinary practitioners inevitably feel rather inadequate. This is especially so for their countrymen, who obtained the two true teachings, but happened to receive them indirectly. Those teachers deserve their fair trades too. Um, I like that he makes the point again, you know, he's like, look, the outside of these forms might look different, mm, but we're all basically coming from the same, right. you know, same source. Yeah. Which really so nice, sounds yeah. like he's like, Bonho was the dude, man. He's like, Bonho was kind of the dude. He's kind of like, we all come from really from this, you know, the, that, uh, uh, or maybe not all it's not that they come from but the like the common uh common denominator between all of these branches that seemed to be forming at that time was really bonho's teaching yeah because, you know because his younger brother really hadn't started you know teaching right that. yeah and he's he's the standard bearer at that time although he does yeah. mention sun ludong comes from a side a different style right. which is young you know young luchan's kind of school brother woo, woo right sure. right right so but just still, a little bit more but here. still wor of worth you know still worth checking out he says you know yeah yeah no so he's you can tell he's trying to bring everybody together a little bit um he says since my organization was founded with the encouraging of physical education as its single solemn purpose we particularly discussed with wuji and chen about fully photographing his taiji boxing set to share it with all those who would like to see it once we had been graced with his approval, it, it then took three and a half days to shoot more than six than 80 photos, completing all of the basic movements of his Taiji boxing solo set. During the shooting, we repeatedly discussed the directions the movements are facing so that the reader would be able to get a clearer idea of how the movements are actually supposed to be done. Truly, they are precious photographs. Nice. Yeah, they're, I mean, I have to admit, they're a pretty damn nice set of photos. They're like high res, nice, you know, background like he's and he looks like he's in his full strength like he's in full power so uh i i like it, it it's his book is especially cool looking of taiji books well and again it's that thing of you know at the time i mean it would it would be the equivalent now of you know if you get a uh, a good video of you know your grand teacher doing mm -hmm, something in mm -hmm. 1930 or 1960 right. or something and you're like right, all right. right like that's somehow that i mean i <laughs> so one last thing is he talks he's talking about the history of taiji and you know going from the ancient past to modern times he says um young luchan of beijing 
was the one who received the complete teachings. Beyond Yang's own sons, it was taught to Wan Chun, Ling Shan, and Chen Yu. Wujian Chen is guys. the son of Chen Yu. Right, so there's the three guys again. There's three guys again. Yeah. <laughs> Wayne Chun, Ling Shan, and Chen Yu. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there's probably some guys out there doing that other stuff. It'd be interesting to see that hard one versus the soft one versus the transforming. Yeah, I mean, my guess is that there were, um, you know, branches. But again, they probably all just got folded into some other school at some point. Yeah, you know, it, it changes. And I think it keeping, changes. You know, keeping an open mind about these being living arts and, and not getting too rigid about it is part of what keeps them functional, you know. Oh, so, like, you know, you just got to let your mind open yeah. up a bit. And that's why it's fun to keep the history alive, too, because you see yourself as part of that continuum that just keeps going and shifts and changes over time. But it's it's cool to be part of this tradition. Yeah, you know, keeps me going. So moving on to the Taiji Chan Lun, this uh, treatise of Tai Chi that we've been exploring. Um, <clears throat> so Baiwa says he, uh, we take the translation of the Taiji Chan Lun to say, after one comprehends the law of force, Jin, his martial arts will become more and more refined. And through further re understanding, thinking, and researching and practice, he can gradually reach the state where he can use it freely. Um, so he says, since the above mentioned method of Jin is different from our usual habit of exerting force, it takes practice before the body can get used to it and the comprehension becomes clear. Therefore, when practicing Taiji Chen, do not do it carelessly, but experience it carefully according to the requirements and gradually master and improve it so that the tool will be handy and you may do whatever you wish. Um, yeah, going back to that concept that, hey, it's going to take some exploration to get it right. Like I've often complained to my teachers of like, what, that's not going to work or uh, being soft. What do you mean by that? Or whatever. It's sort of complain. And then they would show it to me and it's not easy. It's not, it's counterintuitive. A lot of the time your, your natural inclination to shove has to be controlled basically and put something else in its place. And in the process, you're going to lose a lot of matches. Yeah. And that, that constant, analysis is the best word i can give to it that you know uh part of it is don't just think you got it you know and, and move on to the next thing that this is a this is a um ongoing thing that you're always going to be confronted with force and mm. you always have the ability to you know practice essentially i mean one of the, one of the uh, phrases bruce used to say was you know you have a million chances to fuck up you know like don't worry about whether or not you're going to have a chance to to practice being off balance right because it's going to happen over mm -hmm. and over and over right so the thing you want to focus on is what do you do when it happens not mm -hmm. not like trying to stop it from happening in mm. a sense right and like yeah that makes I sense think, i think that's kind of where um when you start to like uh you know let go of your ideas about right and wrong and just look at what you're actually doing you know like what what you know not what you think you're supposed to do but like what what is actually happening and this is where a big part of the comprehending of what you're doing is you need a partner. You need someone to 
you know, help. A teacher is mm. better than a partner, but a partner will help, you know, will get you, you know, a certain degree of feedback that you don't get. Yeah. I mean, they're both essential, right? Like, you yeah. gotta have Well, it's kind of like you need a teacher to tell you what to do, and then you need a partner to work do out with and right? do yeah. with because a lot of this stuff by yourself, it's it's doable, but it it doesn't click the same way as when you know you, you do it for real because there's hypothetical oh i'm moving someone's hand to the side and then there's actually putting your hand up and you know trying to move somebody who's not letting you you know mm -hmm. essentially and that that's a very different action definitely so yeah don't be careless and uh work on the principles originally the principle of taiji trend was to empty oneself and follow others but many people mistakenly reject what is near at hand and seek what is far away. This is really what the saying goes. One false step will make a great difference. Those who, who want to learn Taiji Chen must analyze it in detail. So he uses a couple different slogans here of, uh, you know, emptying yourself to follow others. But then the mistake of rejecting what's close and seeking what's far away. Um, and finally, one false step will make a great difference, meaning you've You've got the more you comprehend the principles at the start, the better. That way, you don't go off a long distance going the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, this is sort of like the less you, you know, tell yourself you're perfect, <laughs> the better. You know that that. Right. I mean, basically, it's either goes either way, right? Either you're going to tell mm. yourself, "Oh, you totally suck," and you're never mm. going to do it right. Or you tell yourself, "Oh, you're all, you're you're the best ever," and not, neither of those is really accurate, right? So, the important thing is to kind of always stay, you know, keep that open mind and that not open mind, but neutral mind about, you know, uh, yeah, I'm doing some of it right, and some of it I got to work on, right? That, like I said, that's that's the fun of it. If that if that doesn't appeal to you, go do something where they give you a a, a trophy when you get to a certain level, and then you know you move on to the next thing because. You get a, you know, you get that dopamine hit, right? They, you know, you, you get the, you get the shiny, you get the shiny metal or whatever it is. And then you do learn the next thing and you get a shiny metal and then you learn the next thing and you get a shiny metal, right? Internal martial arts aren't like that. It's like you learn it, you don't get a medal and then you just have to practice it forever. You know, there's no, like, there's no, you know, there's an no endless process. Line, you know? And that's pretty much what he says in his explanation. He says, I want to emphasize it again here. Empty oneself and follows others is to use a method of taking his flexion and extension as my flexion and extension. Rather than passive escapism and taking a detour, um, rejecting what is near at hand and seeking what is far away, you take a positive way. Um, so you empty yourself purposefully to, to take over his spot. Um, so he says, this is the so-called one false step will make a great difference. Um, this requirement is that people who learn Tai Chi must perceive from the inside to the outside of their own body, from oneself to the opponent, and distinguish them in detail in order to implement them. So he's saying it's about that analysis and that perception. You must perceive from the inside to the outside of their own body and yourself and your opponent. Right. It, it is what, yeah. So it goes beyond just, I mean, it starts with, I got a feel from mm. my, my jongging, my center, all the way out to my fingies and my toes, mm. right? And then I have to, when something touches me, extend that sense of feeling from my fingies mm. and my toes all the way through that 
thing that's touching me right and that takes a bit of you know your mind has to do that part you right can't do those that. are both have you to can't be do that carefully analyzed i mean you can it, it, it's like feeling pressure move through something is is a very uh it's palpation skills you know like you 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 learn how to put your hand on like when you put your hand on your chest and you first don't feel your heartbeat but if you leave it mm. there for a second you start to feel your heartbeat okay right you leave it there long enough you can start to feel your your back your your chit you know the between your shoulder blades and then you can feel down your body and it's just sort of that that proprioception of being able to feel in your own body has to extend to feeling into someone else's body same way you do if you do body work or something like that but that that's a um challenging skill this is that idea that you know when you practice with by yourself right you want that conscious feeling of everything mm. you're doing and that feedback and all of that right so it's sort of like there's something there right but then when you're actually doing it with something coming at you, you practice like there's nothing there and it's just you know you're just doing your form agile and lightly and it just you know almost you're light and nimble yeah and you just sort of let the tai chi do the work tai chi just gives you that space to like revel in it and experience it and feel it deeply and that's pretty freaking awesome yeah it's that dual uh dual purpose essentially right it's it's a I mean, that's what Tai Chi means in a sense, right? It's like you're you're doing both. You're, it's it's not about a yang thing, which is would be the just the purely martial part about it. And it's not a yin thing, which would just be the purely health part about it. It's about finding a balance down the middle between those two things. Supporting each other and informing each other. Yeah. And build it's the yang and the yin are you know driving yeah. each other, like he, it, as he said know, earlier. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's a really, you know, it's a great thing if you can kind of, nice. if you got the patience for it. Pretty badass. So let's catch up again soon. All right. Get back to work. All right, bro. All Talk right. Soon. <laughs> See hey, folks. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, don't forget to check out our Instagram for images to go along with the episodes. We also have a Facebook group, uh, which you can join. And I also just started a private Facebook group for my own training stuff. So if you want to see videos of me doing things and talking about stuff and ranting about things, you can check that out. It's uh, Water Tradition Internal Arts. Uh, again, thanks for listening. Thanks for all your support and take care of yourselves.